Good morning once again. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 119. As I mentioned during the scripture reading, this is the 22nd section of eight verses in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And there's a, there's a strong change, I believe, in tone. Uh, if you just analyze the way that the, the verses are put together grammatically, you see in 1 through 8, there's a lot of, I will do this. A lot of statements. And then when you go to 169 through 176, it, it's very much changed. There's only one statement actually in these eight verses. And it comes right toward the end and then, and then goes almost immediately back into, into requests and pleas and prayers. Uh, there are statements, more than just one specific statement, but you see like in verse... Um, Verse 172 is a good example. Here's a statement. My tongue's going to do this. I'm going to do something because of your commandments being right. And and there's a lot of these in there. Uh, Verse 169, there's a request. 170 is a request. 171, something's going to happen because of what God's done. 172, something's going to happen because of what God's done. 173, again, another request because... Of something we're seeking to do by God's word. 174 is the only statement. 175 is a request. And 176 is again a request. So we have a, a, a heart cry from the psalmist closing out this, this one long psalm about God's word. And you see a gamut in 119 of emotions that are pouring out from this from the psalmist, and he closes with a, a, sort of a somber tone um, and an urgent tone, almost as if he's at the end of a long prayer session and still wrestling and, and just has nothing other to do than just plea with God to hear his cry, as we see it begins with 169. It, also, by way of introduction and explaining a little bit of that and kind of how it ties together, before I get into it, if you've not gone to the website and downloaded the material from last week's um, conference, I would encourage you to do so, and many of you have. Uh, in fact, Christopher and I are wondering if somebody's um, planting, uh, trying to crash our site or something, because th- there have been more downloads by far. It's nowhere near close uh, the last two days after that conference of that material than we've we've ever had coming off our website. So the. Either one of you were listening to it a whole lot of times, or there's many of you who either weren't there and wanted to listen to it or going back and listen to it, which I would encourage you to do, and I'm grateful that you're doing. But it seems to be that the message he brought there on uh, praying and scripture reading is a, is a sensitive topic and something that we're very much hungry for. And, and I would offer that reason by means of the last question in the Q&A. Does anybody remember it? Oh, that's good, because I'm going to read it again. The last question in the Q&A, this is what it is, and I think this kind of hits at um, why this message, um, I think, is, is very applicable to us today, and why these are tied to Dr. Whitney's um, 
messages and why they were so popular. Here's, his, here's the last question from the Q&A. You mentioned, I'm just reading it verbatim, you mentioned in the first message, his first message, about a spirit-indwelled Christian having a love or hunger for God's word. What about the Christian who has a cold heart, a lack of desire for the word? And let me summarize that in two words, spiritual dryness. And it's something that I believe uh, we all wrestle with, I know we all wrestle with, and I would tend to say that I think the Church of America, and this church particularly, is struggling with. Now, I may be completely wrong, but I would tend to say this is something that we are struggling with right now. I know I'm struggling with my heart, and I, through some of the conversations I've had, have noticed this as well. There just seems to be a little bit of a dryness. And, and you want not to be dry, which I would offer you, as Dr. Whitney did, all the hope in the world, that that is such an encouragement, that Christ was, is, is in you, because you're not going to have that desire to not be dry unless Christ is there. But uh, a spiritual dryness that, that doesn't want that and wants something that will refresh the soul, which is one of the reasons why I think that meditation and praying through Scripture was such a welcome topic by many. The title of this message, uh, I'm titling as The Fruit of Biblical Prayer. And as in all the sections we've gone through, you could take it a couple different directions. But I think this is, to me, one of the clearer directions to take it, which is the fruit of biblical prayer. That is to say, if you can do this, this will help with spiritual dryness. So if you're sitting here today and going, not been in the Word, not been praying, cold to these things desperately want them, what do I do? The scriptures offer an answer in these eight verses today. Let me break down that title a little bit, The Fruit of Biblical Prayer. What I'm saying is that a normal biblical prayer time, a normal prayer time would be um, biblical praying, which as Dr. Whitney showed clearly and we've taught before, is praying through scripture. We gave everyone a book at the beginning of this year, um, How to Pray. A Simple Way to Pray by Martin Luther, which was exactly what Dr. Whitney spoke on, which is how to take a verse of scripture and pray through it. That, in my mind, would be biblical prayer. So I'm not saying the fruit of just ordinary prayer. Now, is ordinary, what I mean by ordinary prayer is you're not praying through scripture, you just sit down and you just spout off in words of Dr. Whitney, the same old things, the same old things, the same old things. The fruit of going to scripture and praying through scripture is what we'll see today. Let me define biblical prayer as this. Communication with God as dictated and initiated by the word of God. Communication with God as dictated and initiated by the word of God. God is the one driving the conversation. We are in response to him. And I think we oftentimes slip into we're the one initiating and dictating the conversation and rarely pause or give any opportunity for God to speak through his word in our prayer time. And thus we wonder, how do you hear from God? How did you hear from God? I never hear from God. And yet we have his word and we can hear from him, but we never give him those opportunities. So you can prove that in scripture, I think, that communication with God is biblical prayer as dictated, initiated by the word of God. I think you can prove it very clearly from scripture. Just go to Matthew 6, 1 through 15. Look at the Lord's prayer. Notice it's not about what 
uh, vain repetition. It's not about doing it for others. It's not about doing it for your own pride to say that I've now prayed with God today for five minutes. Therefore, I can check it off and tell everybody, yeah, I've been praying. No, it, it's about um, having a communication with God and his agenda. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not really, do I feel warm and fuzzy? It's, God, are you gaining glory? And many of the scriptures go through this. I'm certainly not saying that <clears throat> spontaneous, urgent prayer, God, would you please heal this person? Something's an emergency or crying out for God is not biblical. Those are very biblical. Um, I'm talking about the ordinary praying. And I think that the ordinary praying, if you're doing it according with scripture, you're praying through scripture, you're in a communication with God, the, those spontaneous, urgent prayers are going to be more Biblical because of the intake of the Word of God. So the fruit of biblical prayer, uh, I'm going to go through three points that I think are very clear in this passage, and here are the three of them. You can write them down, and then we'll unfold each one. A fruit of biblical prayer is answers. A fruit of biblical prayer is actions. And a fruit of biblical prayer is attitudes. Answers, actions, attitudes are fruits of biblical prayer, and you will see them here. Let's look at 169 through 170. I'm going to tie 169 through and 170 together because they are tied together. And then I'm going to expound on 171 through 72, which are also tied together. And then we will break down 173 through 176. So beginning with 169 and 170. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Almost the exact same prayer is in 170 with a few changes of word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Notice the request. Give me understanding. Isn't this what we're looking for when we go to God's word in prayer? I've got to have, this is what we should be looking for. It should be at the top of our list. I've got to have understanding relationally with this individual over here, financially, parentally, business-wise, future, how to deal with the past. I need understanding. But that, that's oftentimes where we stop, is it not? I need understanding. God, you're going to have to open the windows of heaven and just give me understanding. And so then we'll go over to, maybe we'll read a book or we'll open up a scripture and throw a dart on it and, you know, hope it sticks in just the right thing. And yet we don't follow through with the next part of the question, which is give me understanding according to your word. And I, I want to make this statement, which is the answers to the right requests are always found in God's word. And oftentimes we're not getting the answers because our requests are not right. Nothing is wrong with requesting that God give you a new car because you desperately need a vehicle that can drive and yours just broke down and it costs $8,000 to fix it. That's a good prayer. But if you're going to pray that and then yet go over here and be worried and anxious and troubled and nervous, you're praying the wrong request, which is, Lord, let me not be anxious for today or tomorrow but rather let me seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and trust that all these things will be established. All these things will be given to me according to your word. Matthew 6. So there's the right request. God may give you a car 
or the finances. But more important before that is to have the character of Christ through that trial. So it's the wrong request if we're not going to allow that request to conform us to the image of Christ. The answers to the right requests are always found in God's word. And the the request of giving us understanding through the word should be at the top of the list. Not a worldly understanding, but an understanding from God's word. James 1, 5 through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Faith in what? The world's methods? No, faith in in that God is who he says he is in his word and will do what he says with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. John sixteen twenty-three through 24 And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The right request will be found in God's word. They're there. Proverbs 3.13 Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge or the understanding of the Holy One is insight. What we desperately need is understanding and oftentimes we fail to ask for, for it from the Word of God. Notice in 169 and 170, let my cry and let my plea, and I think that those are two very separate things, connected but separate. For instance, both of them have an urgency associated, thinking of pleas and cries, but they are different, such as a plea, I believe, would be more of a request. Esther plead to the king for admittance to the court. A cry would be more of a help, please, now. A plea may be more of a want. A cry may be more of a need. A plea may be more clearly articulated. And you see that in 171 uh, and 172. Notice in 171, the lips. And in 172, which is connected to 170, let my plea, my tongue. There's more of an articulation there. It's well thought out. God, this is my, my plea as compared to the cry, which would be more spontaneous. Something that comes from deep within. Or maybe motivated by an, an emergency of sort. So they're, they're closely connected there, but there is a difference. I, I, would, I would say that we tend to let our cry come before God and yet take our pleas elsewhere. Let's check the bank account first and see if that can solve our pleas. Maybe if I'm struggling with lust, if just that I could gain physical intimacy in my marriage or outside of my marriage, which is the lie, there will be the answer to my my plea. Or, or maybe with this this tough relationship here, if we could just read the right book to get, you see what we're doing? Now, none of those things are, are wrong. Obviously, intimacy outside of marriage is, but seeking answers are not wrong. But we're, we're going to those first rather than taking them before God. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me 
according to your word. Let me make a note to the young people. Is it your, look at this, let my, M-Y, let my cry, let my plea. Are you crying out to God? Is it your prayer? Or do you do it because mom and dad do it? Or because you go to Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship and there's someone there that is a friend of yours that seems to be walking with the Lord, so you better do it so that you look like you're walking with the Lord too. Or is, it, is this really yours? Do you really own it? And is it really your plea and your cry to God asking for understanding? Is it, is it really yours? There's, there's lots of other places we could go with 169 and 170. Let my cry come before you, O Lord, only before God. He's the only one that can give us an answer. He's the only one that can can offer us help and deliverance. There's nothing else that can give us understanding and help and deliverance like we truly long for it. It may be temporary. certainly won't be lasting. There are many other ways we could take deeper places we could go with 169, 170. But you notice that there's, there's answers to biblical prayer. There's understanding that will be given because God's word does not return void. And he promises to do these things. James 1. He will give wisdom to those who ask. In faith. Biblical prayer. Will gain the fruit of biblical answers. So if you're spiritually dry. And you're not gaining the answers. The understanding that you need. Go to scripture and pray through it. And you will find the answers. It is a test of faith, which is why it says in James, ask in faith, because the tendency is, I'm dry, I don't feel like I'm going to get the answer, but you're disciplining yourself knowing this is the only answer I possibly have. Number two, a fruit of biblical prayer is actions. A fruit of biblical prayer is actions. You see this in 171 and 172. And they connect, as I've said, 171 connects to 169, 172 connects to 170, my lips, let my cry, my tongue, let my plea. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. And, and you notice the first two, 169 and 170, were requests. God, do this, please. And then 171, there's now we have some action involved. Because God's done these things and his word has gone forth in power... I'm now going to pour forth praise, sing of your word, only because of the power of your word, for you teach me your statutes, for all your commandments are right. I want to make note that when you pray biblically, there's going to be the action, and I believe that one of the strongest actions is going to be that your words are going to change. Your words are going to become more scriptural. And I'm not speaking of prayer words. I'm speaking of conversational words to your person that are around you. They're becoming more scriptural. They're going to become less self, less focused on self. They're going to become less trivial. They're going to become God-centered. My... 
My lips will pour forth praise. Words are extremely important. And the conversations that we have are oftentimes a good view, a a good microscopic view of what's really important to our souls. How long does it take us to turn a conversation biblically toward God? My lips will pour forth praise. We oftentimes don't have praise in our normal conversations to God or to God at all because we're not in His Word, praying through His Word enough to see what God is doing and that His promises are true. My tongue will sing of your word. And I would note here that we're singing of His Word, not just His works. Which is a tendency. Oh, you guys, I'd love to tell you the story of how God has now blessed me with this and answered this prayer. That's wonderful. Give that testimony to the Lord. And when we look for those, I mean, if I just had a, if I just had a, a good testimony, people could hear and be moved by the power of God. Well, th- th- those are wonderful things and long for that. But that, that's a work of God. And, and you've got page after page after page after thousands after thousands of words of the word of God that is as powerful and sets up those words, works. And, and, and an individual who has been, has been touched by God's words in biblical communication with him, dictated and initiated by the word of God, is going to have the words of God being sung or preached or spoken Dictated to those that are around us. My tongue will sing of your word. Articulate your word. There's going to be an action. And the tendency is. Is going to be that it's going to be verbal. Think of uh, an individual. Who's just saved. Um, Sometimes I'm in the car. And you probably are too. when, When the program Unshackled comes on. And it's an entire program about someone who was, you know, in our minds, too far gone to possibly be touched, as Lincoln Duncan said, by, by the clean Jesus Christ and move him to clean from unclean. So far over here, so many addictions, so much trouble and difficulty, and, and then yet Christ touches them. And what's almost the first thing in the story, they go and tell their words are changed to what God has done and, and the, the truth of God's word. So we, we, we must ask ourselves, do I, is this an action that is mine? Do I have this action? Do I speak of God's word often? Do I sing forth his praise? If not, well then why? Why not? Am I focused on other things? Or am I, am I biblically praying? Am I, not, am I in his word? Am I spiritually dry? A fruit of biblical prayer is is actions. <clears throat> Notice the fruit of biblical prayer being actions are not because we chose to do it. Although there is a choice and you'll see this in 173. But it's because of God and his word are so powerful that we pour forth praise and sing of his word. It's not because we just decided I'm going to feel 
No, it's because we've, we've had an, a conversation, encounter, become close to the King of kings and Lord of lords in all his glory. I, my lips will pour forth praise. I, I have a picture of, he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. You know, just this, this picture of water pouring into a life that's just overflowing and running over the saucer and down over the table and across the floor. Just anybody who walks into the room has to dodge the water unless they... I mean, it, it influences everybody that comes around them. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. God teaches us his statutes through his word. 173, uh, moving once, I'm going to take 173 and 176 in one section, which is the fruit of biblical prayer is attitudes. The fruit of biblical prayer is attitudes. Your attitude will change. And there's, there's at least three attitude changes here. Um, probably a lot more, but for the sake of time, we're going to just focus on the three of them. And not, uh, they're not verse by verse by verse. Some of them are intertwined, but the first one I, w- I want to focus on is um, a biblical perspective on life. And you're going to see this in, in 175. And you see it in 173 as well. But 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Now, the question you should be asking yourself is, now wait a minute here. I'm a believer. How can my soul die? Why is the psalmist requesting whose, whose soul is alive to continue to live when we've been made alive in Christ? And the soul in one sense, never dies. You live eternity, eternally. And yet we do die to die in our sin and spend eternity in hell if we do not know Christ. And yet we can also live eternally with Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a question. Let my soul live and praise you. And I think, I think the, the point of the fact is it's anthropomorphic language. It's, it's using a picture to help us understand there's living and then there's living. For instance... The kingdom of heaven is likened to a pearl of great price, treasure in a field. Was the person before they found the treasure in the field not living? No. They're probably doing just fine. Just strolling along, breathing air, doing whatever they're doing. And yet what happens? They encountered something of such great value that it shifted them from third gear to fifth, screaming as high as it would go. Going... Nothing ever, period, is worth anything else than what I've just found right here. So I'm going to go get rid of everything I possibly have. I'm going to change everything because that alone is really worth living for. And when we have biblical praying and communicating with God and it's dictated by God and we're responding to him, And we're beginning to develop a deeper relationship because we're giving him opportunity to speak into our lives. And we're responding to that. Then then you can begin to really, you'll really begin to live. Perspectives come into play. The, The famous song, Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. You know what's funny is? You're dying. It's not like if you were dying. No, you are dying. And... 
It, you don't have to show up one day as the song goes and find out you have cancer to really figure out you're dying. No, you, you're actually dying the day you were born. And, and yet that's what people are often looking for. Something that will shift them radically so they can really gain a lot of life. Like riding a bull for eight seconds. Yeah. Like that's really that living. It's eight seconds. What about eternity? And that, but that, that's what we should have as Christians is going, I'm already alive. In fact, I'm not going to die. My body will, but my soul is going to live eternally with Christ for, in glory. Let's begin living here. And we call that a passion for Christ. Or we call that uh, feeling, having a fire for Christ. And we wonder, how do those people get it? They get it in communication, on a day-to-day basis, in prayer, study of the Word, which you're not going to be able to biblically pray unless you are studying the Word, because prayer is more important. I mean, study of the Word is more important. It's first, and then prayer comes out of that. That's how they get that. That's an action. That's, I mean, that's an attitude that is a fruit of biblical prayer. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Biblical perspective on life would be one of the attitudes. How about, how about this one? A confidence in God's word. You see this in 173, I have chosen your precepts. 174, your law is my delight. 175, let your rules help me. 176, for I do not forget your commandments. In a, in a, in a day in our society where the law and the rules of the Bible are almost treated as if they're not written, they're not part of the Bible, there's something that's a figment of church history and it's not applied today. The psalmist here very clearly articulates his confidence that all of God's word is good for his soul. Now he's no longer, or we are no longer under law, we are under grace. And yet we should in scripture rejoice to see the law of which we would never in our best day be able to adhere to and stick with and hold perfectly with. So there is a... There is a confidence that comes in God's word. Notice, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. There's, if you are not a believer, you cannot choose to follow God's ways. Now, you might be able to choose a moral code that looks a lot like scripture, but you are unable to choose God because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And yet, those who have been made alive in Christ have a choice every day. You wake up with it. I wake up with it. I can choose this day whom I will serve. Now, in that choice, God gives me the grace to choose Him or to come back to Him if I've wondered. But there is going to be an attitude that I'm spiritually dry, I'm having difficulty getting in God's Word, and yet I'm I believe that God, I'm confident that if I do this, if I stick with this, in the words of Dr. Whitney, if I move my heart to the warmth of the fire of God's word long enough, my soul will be rekindled. That's confidence in God's word. And that comes through biblical prayer. Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. Confine me. Help me to see boundaries that I have in life. 
174 is a very interesting verse in this whole passage, in, the, in these eight verses. And the reason being is it's the only, really the only statement. And I find it interesting that it comes sort of right in the middle of, of these requests and prayers. Look at it. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. He, he's just waded through, spiritually wrestled with, gaining access before God, gaining confidence, changing attitudes, actions, getting answers. And now at 174, he makes this statement. And I can, I can, I can understand what he's doing here in that we all, we, we wade and we wrestle and sometimes you just want to go, okay, okay, it's there. There is a fire. There, it, it's, it's, it's small, but there's warmth. Or this is tough, but oh, when the, when the chips are down, this is, really is my heart. And oh, thank you, God, that I do long for your salvation and your law really is my delight. And, and yet I wrestle with continually keeping it where it's supposed to be. And there's a tendency, I think, for us as Christians to get to this point and be able to say that. That yes, ah, oh, thank you, Father, that you have given me the grace to long for your salvation and that your law is my light. And we stop there, which is dangerous. We're on this road, we're moving upward, maybe we're climbing out of a spiritual dry spot. We get to this point, okay, there's hope. And then we don't go any further and we slip back down the slope. Because we like this feeling of, oh, I do have a desire and a feeling, an emotion for God. And yet, we are to be spirit-driven, not emotionally driven. We are to be not worried about necessarily, how do I feel, but do I obey? And do I seek after God as my treasure, even when He doesn't appear to be? My treasure as much as he should. But notice this, notice what the psalmist does here with confidence in God's word. He says it, but he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't go a lot of verses. He dives right back into the requests, which is what we should do. Ah, okay. There's hope. God is real. I really am his. That's a really comfort to my soul. Oh, I can't stay here. I got I gotta keep going. I need help. I need grace to keep going. And he dives right back into it. Let my soul live, another request, and then finishing with 176. So there's a biblical perspective on life that's an attitude of the fruit of biblical prayer. There's confidence in God's word. And then, and then finally, there's a humility that comes. And I think this is really what rings throughout these eight verses is this humility of I cannot do this in my own strength. You alone, God, can, can change me, can Awaken my heart. And I think it's very clear, um, if not through the first seven verses, it's very clear in 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. My immediate thought when I read that was the, was the verse of, Come thou fount, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Prone to go astray like a lost sheep. And notice he doesn't say, God, I'm yours. So prone to leave like a lost dog that can eventually find its way back home. That's not what he says. 
No, he, he wrote, if this is David, he wrote Psalm 23. He knows, I, at my best day, I'm a dirty, filthy sheep who just wants to wonder, who just wants to pull, who just wants to break out. I've got everything before me, but I have a tendency, I've got to fight that. And he, and he calls out to God, God, my best day, I'm a sheep. That's my very best. I love, I'd love to be a dog, but my best day, I'm a sheep. And I'm, I'm not going to come back unless I know I'm yours. And so I'm going to plead. I'm going to wonder. I'm not going to be able to find myself back the way I would like to. I want to come back. I can't find my way back. I'm lost. I'm a sheep. I'm unable. I don't have that tracking mechanism. I can't. You're going to have to, in your grace, reach out and bring me like a lost sheep, like you are the shepherd, to back back to me. I want to be there. I'm unable to be there. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Charles Spurgeon uh, makes note in this point that the ultimate, almost the ultimate offering that you have to God is humility, that a God, I cannot do this. This is nothing that I can do unless you give me the grace. I will not, I, I, I desire, I desire to have my heart warmed and be on fire for you and be communicating with you, but I'm not going to be able to do that unless your Holy Spirit comforts me, pours out, does a work in my heart in order that I might not go astray. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. How often are we like this? We do something that we know is wrong or we wonder from God and yet we know, I shouldn't have done this. I know God's word. And yet we we plead, God, I know it. I'm just not doing it. Would you pour out your grace? Would you seek me as a lost sheep and, and bring me back? There's going to be humility that comes with biblical prayer. Notice that we're not, we're not supposed to um, be always wanting to break out. In fact, if you go back to the significance of verse 1 in Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. That's the goal, is holy living for the, for the glory of God, to not wander astray, to walk in God's word, to not walk away from it. And yet, it happens. And we become spiritually dry. And this should be our prayer of humility going back to God's word, back to the discipline of biblical prayer. Having confidence in that God's word going, God, I know you're mine because you've saved me, not of my works, not of anything that I've been able to do. I'm not forgetting your commandments and I'm not going to want to keep your commandments unless you've touched me and given me a, a new heart, given me life and warmth to these truths. You've done that. I've got them there. Therefore, I have confidence that if I plead this, you're going to plead this in humility and repentance. You're going to answer and come as that good shepherd and bring me back to where I need to be. In closing, just a few practical uh, steps of application that I've noted for myself and hope that you might find some encouragement as well. 
Very simple, the first one I would encourage you to go back and review. Or if you did not listen to it, you're not there, go back and review uh, the notes um, and the recordings from last week. And, and slowly, I would encourage you to slowly implement these things. The tendency is to look at it as, oh, if I just do this, then I'll... No, that's not the point. The point's relationship and communication with God. Don't see it as a rubber stamp. So go back and review those and seek to, and seek to implement them. Number two, you have the ability by the grace of God to make a choice. And it takes much discipline and it takes much effort, but you can make a choice, if you are His, to warm your heart at the fire of God's Word and not elsewhere. And you have all the grace afforded to you to do that. So if you're spiritually dry or you've not been in the Word of God like you should have been, you have the ability to do that, to wake up tomorrow morning and choose that. It will not be easy. But you do have that ability by the grace of God. So make those choices. Uh, Number three, if you're interested in where do I go from here, I would tell you to go to Colossians. Reason being is because that's the next that's the next passage of scripture. uh, The three pastors in the church will be speaking on. We'll preach through Colossians, starting next week. Go to Colossians. Simple, not very long. You could read entirely through the entire book in one sitting, probably 10 or 15 minutes each morning, and then just start meditating. Meditate on the first verse tomorrow. Meditate on the second verse the next day. And by the time you get through it, we'll probably be done preaching on it, and yet your heart will have been warmed because not only are you going to see the truths of God's Word, then you get to hear it spoken into your life from those who dedicated seven days to that, or seven hours, or whatever it is. They've dedicated that time to bringing the Word of God on that those scripture verses that you're you're studying. So it's just simple uh, application there. And fourth, I think we, we, we've got to be willing uh, to be honest enough to assess the current actual status of our souls. Am I willing to really say, hey, I'm, I'm spiritually dry. I, I've got to change these things. Or do we run on the emotions? Or do we run on wanting to look good? Or do we run on because everybody in our circle wears this, does that, looks that way, therefore I must do that? That won't last. Honestly assess it. How is your soul? Is it burdened and cast down? And you don't really want to take that on? Is there sin we're unrepentant of that we don't want to address? Love what Lincoln Duncan said in the first service there. There's so often times where we go to God and say, you can't touch this one. It just hurts too much. And so I'm going to just put it over here. And yet he's the one who can make it clean. And moving us from unclean to clean. So simple, simple application. A, a tremendous passage of scripture. Psalm 119. 176 verses. Of a wide variety of emotion of an individual that is seeking God. And he has his ups and downs. And he finishes on a note of absolute plea and urgency. God, I cannot. God, we cannot do this as we would desire to in and of our own strength. You must pour out your Holy Spirit afresh and give me renewed grace to do this. I'm going to, as part of man's responsibility, I'm going to choose to do that which I can do. But this is not going to be easy. I'm going to need your help to do that. 
And yet that, is, that should always be our prayer because we're really, even on our best day, no better than that. Unable to do it in and of ourselves other than the power of Christ within us. So in many ways, he does come back to it. I love the fact that he finishes with this analogy of a lost sheep. In many ways, he does come back to, the, to the, as he's done throughout the entire passage, the gospel of seeing Christ is the only thing, is the only good shepherd. Nothing else can, can rescue me in my lost estate or in my wandering estate if we are believers and, and bring me back to warming my heart by the fire of God's word. So biblical prayer... Biblical prayer is uh, what we should have in our life. It's very clear, I believe, in 119, 169 through 176. Communication with God is dictated and initiated by the Word of God. So if we're cold through spiritual dryness, let's go back to the Word of God. Let's go back to communicating with Him. Let's go back to using the Scripture as a conversational tool with God rather than telling God uh, or communicating directly to Him rather than with Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, for the scriptures that are before us. Uh, May we not in any way treat them flippantly. May we not in any way view them as anything but they are, the living word of God. That speaks clearly, and yet we are oftentimes listening elsewhere. Yes, we hear it. It's there, but more of a drone in the background, oftentimes in our our hearts and in our minds, rather than that fresh, living water, pure and clean, reviving our souls, refreshing our spirit. Father, don't allow us, allow us the grace to not seek help, encouragement, refreshment from any other place other than this word. And we thank you, Father, that it is living and breathing and active and sharp and will and will do what its purpose is to do. You will accomplish your purpose through it. It's not something that was just written on a page 2,000 years ago. It's, it's you speaking now. May we see that, Father. Father, I pray that as we would enter now into a time of corporate prayer, that as the men would lead us, that you would grant us the grace to to pray, to, to pray biblically, to pray well, to seek to know corporately your direction for our body, for our families workplaces. Help us to see, Father, according to your word. Give us that understanding as we would pray about life. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.